I want to ask you to take your Bibles, please, and if you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Today is the last day that we will be in Ephesians chapter 3. What's that? Somebody call me liar? God knows your heart. <laughs> Sounds like you didn't take advantage of 1 John 1, 9 to me. I'll go ahead and warn you, my clock up here says something different from the clock that's back there. Therefore, I don't really know what time it is. So when I'm done, I'm done. Stop. And you can't use this excuse of we got to get home and watch the Packers anymore. That ship sailed, right? I mean, come on. I'm a Packers fan too, but good gravy. I have comments about that, but I'm not going to say them. Ephesians chapter 3. It's an important reminder that we need to come to. And that is, anytime that you're going to get into the Word of God, the Word of God is a Holy Spirit book. It is inspired. When we look at 2 Timothy 3.16, we see all Scripture is God-breathed. The idea is that everything that is the essence of God, of which He would want us to know, He has so put forward in a way that it ought to be displayed for us in nothing but absolute and glorious truth. That's a heck of a claim for a book to make, but that's also why the Bible is not any other book. So one of the most important things that we could do before we start getting into this is pray for illumination. Let me go over that real quick with you. Illumination is, Lord, I'm getting ready to read your Holy Spirit-inspired Word, and so I need the indwelling Holy Spirit to lead and guide my thinking and to actually lighten up the text so that I can receive it well. So let's do that real quick. Father in Heaven, we pray, Lord, for mercy as we look into Your Word, that You would impart the words to us and that You would illuminate them for our understanding. We praise You that we have it in all of its fullness and completeness, that there's nothing that needs to be added. We also praise You, Lord, that You have not left us alone, but You have given us the indwelling Spirit of which to guide us and give us discernment. He leads us into all truth. And so we praise You for that fact. We rest in that fact. And trust that You will do so today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, We must remember that we are dealing with the idea of doctrine. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are practice. But just because you see the word doctrine, don't let that give you the heebie-jeebies, okay? Doctrine is not meant to do so. All that is is sound teaching about what is true. Now some of us like to be lied to, and I've never understood that. But the Word of God never does that. And so we're not dealing with a worldly or man-centered way of looking at this. God actually has a logical progression of which He wants to bring us into chapters 4, 5, and 6. But He has to set the foundational work in our minds and hearts before He moves there. This is like when we get excited about something that we learn and we immediately try to start performing it or implementing it, but we haven't taken the time to 
think through why we're doing what we're doing. It's a rash decision, or it's a gut reaction, or, you know, I didn't have all the information at first, and next thing you know, we find ourselves making a whole lot of mistakes because we neglected the beginning in favor of trying to get to the end too quickly. Every believer in Christ who understands that they've been given a brand new life, understanding that it's free gift that's offered by the grace of God, not of anything that we could do, understanding that He's given the blessing of the Holy Spirit, understanding that He's given spiritual gifts for every believer to exercise, understanding that every sin, past, present, and future, because remember, they were all future when Jesus died, they're all cleansed and gone. If anybody stops to ponder that for a second, there's an appreciation, I would think, that would originate in the heart. That's a good thing. But then, all of a sudden, we, go, we start looking for our boots because we got to get to working for the Lord. Okay? Now, everybody loves working for the Lord. Who does it? But what you find the difference between burnout and blessing is that you're not neglecting the foundation of doctrine that has to be in place in order to catapult you into successfully serving the Lord. We get excited about wanting our Christian life to unfold for others and witness to our friends, and I'm going to go on a mission trip now, and we do all this stuff, and we find out that it's not rooted in our salvation, it's actually rooted in self. Because somehow we got convinced that we had to get busy for Jesus. Getting busy for Jesus is a good thing if you're getting busy for Him in the right way. Or let me back it up and maybe rephrase that. Getting busy for Jesus is good as long as Jesus is getting busy in you. That's the difference. Because any works that I would manifest that are apart from Him prompting or doing it through me is actually not pleasing in God's sight. Because self is still in control. So this is why we've got to get our minds around the every spiritual blessings that have been unfolded for us in the first three chapters of this book. We have a glorious privilege that is completely undeserved. We have a glorious position that is in Christ of which everything we did actually fought against that reality. And so God overcomes that shortcoming and then gives gracious blessing on the other side. That makes absolutely no worldly sense whatsoever, but that's who God is. And then now he's telling us about the unfolding of his glorious plan. And of course, what Paul wants to do, because he's so jazzed about what Jesus has done, is he wants to pray about it. Do you pray when you're jazzed about what Jesus has done? I hope that you do. Anybody in here gotten jazzed about Jesus lately? I know some of you are like, man, stop using that word. I will not stop talking about Jesus. Okay. Some of you got that. That's good. So here we go. Verse 14, for this reason. Now remember, verse 14 is connected to verse 1. He stated this in verse 1 <coughs> that he wanted to say. He's going to bow his knees before the Father, the posture of prayer. Why was that? In order to recognize when that initially took place, we've got to back up to the last few verses of chapter 2. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 
And watch this. In whom the whole building being fitted together. What's being fitted together? Believing Jew and believing Gentile are being fit together and is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Or let me say it this way. When somebody who is a Jew who comes to faith in Christ, they are abandoning their Jewishness by spiritual reality. Now that might sound kind of contradictory, but it's not. Why would they do that? Because there's a better brand new life in Christ that's been made available. When that truth eventually came to the Gentiles, we are abandoning our Gentileness. Whether that's the right emphasis on there or not, I don't know. But we're coming into this in Christness. And what Paul is saying is what God is doing is he's taking both of them because their former trappings don't belong anymore, creating a brand new man out of them and generating this building that actually is going to serve as a holy of holies in which the presence of God will dwell. Well, that's you and me as believers. Each believer in Christ has the indwelling Holy Spirit. Each one of us is small, little case, holy of holies, that are all conglomerately making up the larger case of the body of Christ, which is known as a church. So because of that, Paul is so excited about that that he wants to pray because of what God is doing in reconciling everyone to God and reconciling this previously fighting situation between Jews and Gentiles because Christ is the great peace and equalizer across the board. So he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family and heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Everybody remember, that's a measurement. That's a measurement in place. To be strengthened with power through his spirit. It can't come any other way. In the inner man. Talk about that in a second. It's what we dealt with last week. For what reason? So that Christ may dwell. Does everybody remember this word? Be at home in your hearts. That's what this word means. To dwell, to be at home in your hearts. It's not that when you come to faith in Christ, He doesn't automatically take up residence within you. It's the fact that as we're growing as infants in Christ, there's a lot of jostling around and competing influences that take place. So what is He saying? Paul's prayer about this spiritual reality is not saying, get busy and prove that you're really saved. He's not worried about that. Because whatever works I do could totally be fake. They have no way of proving. They're not a successful barometer for gauging whether or not I have eternal life or not. Works don't work that way. They are an outpouring of the brand new life that we have. They're never a measurement of it. So since that is the case, and it's all by grace, and it's by faith alone, notice that he must dwell in our hearts through faith, by believing. That's the only way it can happen. And it's got to come through his spirit, which dwells within us. But the idea is that Jesus would finally be able to settle down. Imagine it this way if you have to, to get silly with it. Within every one of us, we got a lazy boy chair that's being unused. And when you come to know Jesus, he comes in and he wants to have a seat. But he's got to kind of get greed out of the way. Pride seems to want to take up a lot of that, that, that furniture. And as he begins to root that stuff out, 
And we become strengthened in our mind, in our will, in our emotions, and we start leaning into the Lord Jesus in a trust relationship. Again, not doing anything, just becoming more and more convinced that all the realities already secured and made available to us are really true. So we start thinking and implementing that. We start changing how we act and think. We start changing what our value system is. We start changing our choices. And it's all in light of the fact that the already delivered truth is now just being better embraced and assimilated in my life because the Holy Spirit is doing that. That's the strengthening of the inner man that's taking place. It is taking the inside and buffing us up. He's here to pump you up. Everybody remember that one? That's what he's doing. And the more that Jesus can get in that lazy boy chair, the great thing that Paul wants is for him to grab that handle and go... He wants that. Why? Because Jesus is totally at home and totally at rest. Jesus is finally able to stabilize us in the peace that He died to secure for us because He is the peace that we have with God. He wants to bring us to that point. Again, I I can't stress this enough. Notice that He's not asking for us to do anything. He just wants terms of reality to be embraced in our lives. And he's saying, God, please grant them the strength. Know that it has to come through their spirit. Notice that it has to be done by faith, by believing. Now, we brought this up last week, so I want to show it to you. Moody Bible Commentary, if you ever have a chance to get one, it's a pretty good little one-volume commentary. Thick, it's beefy, but it'll help you. The inner being is parallel to the heart in verse 17. It refers to the location of the intellect, the mind, the emotions, and the will. So remember, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit moves in, makes your spirit righteous, and evicts the old man. Throws the old man out. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? Unless the old man is full of sin and makes you sin. Get out of here. You're not welcome anymore. Why? Because this is a place where the Holy Spirit now dwells. And He dwells there perfectly. The mind, will, and emotions are still having issues. Why? Because we're not fully convinced. We're brand new, becoming accommodated with the truth. We're surviving on the milk of the Word, and it takes a while in order to grow into the meat of the Word. But what God is doing is He is changing us from the inside out while the world and the devil try to get to us from the outside in. So this renewing of the inner man is vitally important. Again, it's not about us doing anything. It's about us accepting everything that Christ has already done for us. So now, moving forward into brand new ground. So that you, being rooted, notice this word, rooted and grounded in love. Everybody see being? Being is the idea of something that is already true of us. Now I know I bring this example up a lot, but it's one that I see people struggle with a lot. I know we're supposed to love each other, but I just can't love that person. You're right. You can't. So stop trying. But Christ can love that person through you. Christ's love is perfect. Christ loves perfectly. And so any type of love that I would try to add forward in a relationship either with a believer or a non-believer is going to be a love that automatically has a bias on it because I'm really interested in self when you boil it all down. 
How does this relationship best benefit me? I'm a big fan of myself. I see some of you got on Packers stuff. I want to get out there a whole line of Jeremy stuff. You know? Tell you what my uniform number is. One! That's me! Deep down, that's who we are. God is not interested in changing the old man, the old us, the pre-Jesus us. He's interested in getting him out of the way so that his son can live his perfect life through us. And one of the realities we have is that we are already rooted and grounded. This word grounded here is great. I love it. Rooted, I looked it up, it means rooted. Okay, that's good. This right here is the idea of a foundation that's been put in place. It's been poured in. It's not just roots digging down into the ground and wanting to pull all the minerals and nutrients that it can to be firmly established. It's the idea of marking it off and pouring out a foundation of love across the board of which the rest of your life will be built on. In fact, if this is anything, it shows the preeminence that love must have in the life of the believer in Christ. And it's got to come mentally, spiritually, before it ever works itself out practically. Otherwise, the practical will always work itself out in self. So, rooted and grounded love, notice, what his idea? That you may be able... So an ability, I know that's probably like a duh thing. But you may be able to comprehend. What's that deal with? Mind, will, or emotions? The mind. Notice we're getting the mind involved here. Now how are we able to comprehend? Don't lose verse 16 that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. That's the basis. But if we are strengthened, if we are leaning into now the truth of God's Word, it grows us someplace. Everything that grows has got to go someplace. Any of you that have ever taken stock in that like pure shot or whatever that stuff is, what is that stuff that you go out there to your... You're like, how in the world do I have all this concrete? And next thing you know, it looks like a vineyard's taking place. You guys ever done that? Am I the only person? Weed killer. Sorry. Hey, I communicate for a living. It's great. Anybody, anybody ever gone out there with that stuff? And you're killing it down. How in the world does that stuff sprout up? Because anything that grows has got to go somewhere. And you sometimes wonder, this blacktop is as thick as can be. This concrete is as thick as it can be. Why do I see this incredible growing thing coming out of here? Everything that grows has got to go somewhere. And so what Paul is doing is he's directing our growth. If all of this is the reality of what you're accepting in Christ, and your mind, will, and emotions is becoming more accepting of what God has done for you in Jesus, then the reason why that's important, with a foundation of love already being there, is so that you would begin to mentally grasp something. And what is that? To grasp with all the saints, all believers, what is the breadth? And length and height and depth. Let's stop here. How wide? How long? 
How high? How deep? And what is it? And, in addition to those four factors, to know the love of Christ. See this word? We're familiar with this. Agape love. Sometimes I think it would be better if our Bible translations had the difference between agape love and phileo love. We're dealing with that. Notice the idea also here is the bringing up of the mind again. How the means of which we ought to start thinking in a brand new direction. you got to be thinking in this direction before you ever act in this direction. Otherwise the action will be misplaced. But notice this. The idea of love. Good definition here. That which wills wills the good of its object. And that is Geisler. That which wills the good of its object. In fact, this is what begins to understand how much God cares for you and why He did what He did. In God's case, we actually use a special word for this, a compound word. Omni-benevolent. Omni-all. But the idea of benevolence is the idea of having goodwill toward somebody. It's God's emotive all-goodness toward us in Christ. What does God will for your life that's terrible? Anybody? Like, man, God really hoodwinked me on that one. My life is so much worse off when I trusted Him. Anybody? No, why? Because God doesn't do that. It's completely contrary to His character. He can't do that. That puts it in a realm of unapproachable as far as God is concerned. Because it would be for the bad or the lie or the false of ourselves. God is not working in that way. Everything that He has has the ultimate good of all things, before us. And yet, some reason we're so reluctant to trust when His very character and nature screams goodness, goodness, goodness. Paul's desire is that the mind, will, and emotions would be strengthened by the Spirit to comprehend the vast nature of Christ's love. Why? Because look at this. Which surpasses knowledge. Does Paul want you to think or what? Paul's saying, I want you to know something that surpasses knowledge. You can't get there any other way but supernatural. The Spirit has to bring the things that are otherwise unknowable and too great for the mind to comprehend into our lives and be Spirit-wrought in order to change us. Sometimes people struggle their entire lives because they just need to change. I wish I could change this about myself. And a lot of times we find that it's incredibly powerless to even attempt to do so. And when we have attempted to do so, it's created a lot of heartache, a lot of stress, and a lot of bills. Could we all stand to know what the width and length and depth and height of Jesus' love is a little bit more? We could. Now let me ask you this question. 
Why? Somebody tell me why. Why would Paul say, my prayer, I mean, this is all still one prayer. It's still one prayer. It's only a few verses long. It's still one prayer. My prayer is that your mind, will, and emotions would be strengthened to such a means through the Spirit that dwells in you to the point where you've become so strengthened that you would begin to understand even more the height and the width and the depth and the length and to know, it's almost like those four didn't cover it and so he had to throw and to know on there. The love of Jesus, which by the way surpasses knowledge. Why does Paul want us to know this unknowable fact? This otherwise unknowable fact? Why? Think about it. Think about it. What's he trying to do? Alex, what's up? To make you unshakable. Well, to bring you in a relationship, which he's already done that with Christ, right? So into greater fellowship. He wants to bring you into greater fellowship. To experience God. His kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Kelly. Because of his costly grace. Grace cost him a lot, didn't it? Freed us, cost him a lot. There's where the payment's made. Mike, to become more Christ-like. Man, these are all great answers. I love it. I don't know that any of them are wrong. It's great. What are you guys thinking? Thinkers. I love it. Alex, you want to answer again? One more time, that's it. Good, good. Everybody get in your DeLorean and go back to the garden for a second. Okay? And after they both ate, their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. Now that's weird. I mean, admittedly it is, isn't it? Because some of us are like, you've been running around like that all day and you just now noticed? It's like, We don't know how long that was. Could have been a long time. I don't doubt it. Um, what took place at that moment? Can you imagine? You're sitting there, mouth is full of apple, probably best apple you ever tasted in your life. And all of a sudden, boo! created a gap 
all of a sudden self-awareness overcame God-awareness. Self. And it was so abundant. Right? Got to cover it up. Can't look. And they're grabbing whatever they can. Leaves. Leaves. Leaves? Feeling shame. All of a sudden, my self-constitution is so important that my whole vision of God has gone out the window in this moment. Recognizing what guilt and shame are for the first time. And why is that? Because the absence of a God who had done nothing but love them was now being felt. Self had become ruler in their hearts. So when he's praying about this, because we've been trained like successful little sinful monkeys a long time in this circus called the world. And this spiritual reality has got to root out this repetitious mind-setting thinking in order to establish a brand new person of who Christ is in this. And so this idea of recognizing a previously unknowable love of God is meant to so root in us to get our eyes off of ourselves and to strictly look at the love of Jesus Christ. That's it. You know how a Christian grows? Well, I got a workbook for that. I got six workbooks for that. There's a lot of workbooks on how a Christian grows. It's one thing. Look to Jesus. Did you realize that's how a Christian grows? Look to Jesus. Don't you need a plan? No? You look to Jesus. Do you think Jesus will get you where you need to go when you need to go there? Why would he do that for you? Because of his profound love for you. So the more that I look to Jesus and the more that I'm seeking to comprehend what is His great, vast, amazing, deep, wide love for me, and it becomes part of what's creating new neural pathways in my brain to where I want to think that way because it's spiritually evoked in me. All of a sudden, places where my brain could not go previously now becomes places where I want to be all the time in my thinking. The love of Jesus begins to overshadow my inconsistency. Because I'm not looking at it anymore. I'm looking to Christ. The love of Jesus begins to overshadow my self-consciousness. Why? Because I stop caring about what other people think because all I care about is the Savior who loved me so much. He's just getting a grander view of who Christ is and what He's done. We could all stand to know more about the love of Christ. I don't like you left side. Why? Here's the reason. That you may be filled up. Let me give you this real quick. To abound or to supply liberally. It's getting cold. All of a sudden, my feet are becoming a little rougher than what I thought they were during the spring and summer times. 
So I need to pull that lotion out and apply liberally in order to soften it up. In order to make it more palatable. So when I don't put on my socks, it's like... That's gross, but it got your attention. You're going to remember this. He wants you to begin spiritually thinking about the otherwise unknowable links and depths of the love of Christ because what it's going to do is it's going to be liberally abound within you unto a great and glorious end. To all. What does all mean? All. Praise the Lord. We have basic grammar skills. The fullness of God. Everybody see this word? fullness it's the fullness of god in play and and forgive me i'm having to read chicken scratch on here of all the stuff i've done here the fullness of god that which has been completed in other words it's god's intended end We didn't just come to saving knowledge of the Savior to get in the door. He wants to get us through the living room and into the kitchen, sitting down at the table, having fellowship with Him all the time. His goal is maturity for the saints. But if it's not Holy Spirit rot, bringing truth in to where I'm actually going to be thinking about it now. The central seat of my being is resting upon the Word of God and the truth that Christ has done. And notice that all the things they could have put forward, all the things that Paul could have said on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, love is the focus. That's the bullseye, the love of Christ. Aim for that every time. Just worry about hitting that. Just worry about the thought going that. Let the Spirit take your mind there to be so fawning over and adoring the love of Christ for you. Think about how great it is. You know what's the interesting thing about how wide and how high and how deep and how long it is? It tells you one thing, that anywhere that you end up in life, the love of Christ is already there for you. Boy, I really am in a deep hole in this one. Well, guess what else is there? The love of Jesus. So we start thinking along those ends. Now, I want to tell you I'm running out of time, but I don't know. So... Let me share this with you real quick about why this is important. Same author, different book. Go to Romans 8. Turn back to the left, Romans 8. I know it's a little warm in here, but praise the Lord we have a warm church. Have you ever had church in a cold church? Okay, just want to make sure. Couldn't help but to notice that might lessen complaints. So... What is the vast nature of Christ's love for us? Here it is. Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 35. Who will separate us from the? The love of who? Think about this. That's a good question, isn't it? Anytime that we get all caught up in life circumstances, we feel like the walls are closing in on us, or we're simply dealing with a situation where we committed a sin as such, it's going to send us in the corner so that we're sucking our thumbs like a child because we don't know how to deal with it. Am I really saved? Am I not really saved? Call a spiritual time out and bring Romans 8.35 out. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? No one. That's the implied answer. Especially not ourselves. Well, you can't get to a point where you sin for so long and then you're not saved anymore. Who in the world told you that? It wasn't the Word of God. 
Say it again, Steve. The enemy. The enemy wants you to do nothing but doubt the security of your salvation. If you doubt the security of your salvation, you doubt the extent of the love of Christ for you. If you doubt the extent of the love of Christ for you, then you're constantly going to live trying to earn that love. If you're constantly trying to live to earn that love, you are now becoming the person that should have been on the cross for your own salvation. And I don't know about you, but I make a terrible Savior. A terrible Savior. Yes. And you do too. Notice this. Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, any of those things separate you from the love of Christ? No. In fact, it wouldn't be a bad idea in your Bible right now. Just as it's written, for your sake we're being put to death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. We are more than conquerors is how some of them say. Through Him who loved us. I have down here, we are hyper victors. Not just hyper like a kid that you just sugared up back in children's church. Not like that. Way to go, parents. Right? We're hyper conquerors. We're more than conquerors. We're super conquerors. We're super victors. From what we did, no. We're super victors through, there's that word again, Him who loved us. His love makes us the exceeding abounders in our reality, regardless of our situation. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And just thinking about the idea of things to come, people worry themselves sick about the future. Keeps them up at night having to get up and go in the other room and just pace or do whatever to keep their minds busy so they're not thinking about how scared to death they are about the next day or the next week or the next month. Guess what? You're not anywhere and you're not going anywhere of which the love of Christ is not already there for you. God wants us thinking along those ends and that's why this prayer is a reality. Back to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. This enters into the phrase where he's done with this prayer but now he's offering up what's called a doxology. And this is the idea of uh, thinking along the lines of glory. To be thinking about the glory that is had in this situation. Now to him who is what? I love that. Because the him is capitalized. If it was lowercase, I might think it referred to me. So the greatest thing I can recognize is that in a prayer or a situation like this to cap off everything about what Jesus has given for me in these three chapters, the greatest thing I can ever do is number one, make sure that myself is removed from this situation. All the work is God's work for me. It's not my work. So notice, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask, Prayer is asking. Remember that? And here's what's interesting about this word. The idea of think here is not to formulate a thought. But it's the idea of what we understand. And notice that this also again deals with the mind. There's a lot here that Paul is saying needs to be supernaturally wrought in our minds in the way that we think about these things. You do a word study 
on the word heart, especially in the Old Testament, you find that it's used interchangeably all the time with the mind. The reasons and the ways in which we think. The Holy Spirit wants to renew all that to be focused in on the bullseye of the love of Christ. So notice, anytime that we offer up a prayer, notice to Him who is able, He has all the ability, far more abundantly than what we would ask of Him in prayer, or to think how we live our lives and how we do that. Why? Because the love of Christ that He wants us to know was surpassing knowledge before. Well, guess what? He wants us to know what can't be known. According to the power that works within us. What is the power that works within us? Some people say Holy Spirit power. Some of us would go back to Paul's prayer at the end of Ephesians 1 and say it's resurrection power. Regardless of the fact, are they not both God's power? Okay, so we don't need to necessarily be divided on that. What's the power that works within us? It could be Holy Spirit power. Sure, absolutely. Look at Paul's prayer at the end of Ephesians 1. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. Because you have to be a believer in order to take advantage. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. Are some of these words you're seeing that they're parallel to what we saw at the end of chapter 3? Which He brought about how? How was the working of the strength of His might brought about? In Christ, when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. In other words, the same power that God used to resurrect Jesus Christ bodily from the tomb is the exact same power that works within us all the time. We are people who are fueled by resurrection power. Why are we so anemic in the body of Christ? I would say here's a reason why. Let me give you an actual reason. I think there is a reason. I think because sometimes we take for granted doctrine. We get so consumed with doing rather than focusing on our being in Christ. We get so focused on our practice rather than really solidifying and embracing our position in Christ that He died to supply freely for us. And then when we get all ruffled over and burnt out in the flesh and attacked and all these other things, we freak out. Why? Because there's no foundation of understanding greater depths of the love of Christ of which to fuel us forward through those hard times. Wouldn't kill us all to slow down a little bit and just mull over in that beautiful gelatinous noggin of mine the great extents of how much Christ loves me. That's where the reading and the renewal of the Word has got to take place. Verse 21, let's finish this. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. In your bulletin, you have a page. I want you to pull it out real quick if you wouldn't mind. I want you to notice that this is two columns filling up a page and a half. In your bulletin, you should have this folded up and tucked in there. If you need an extra copy, we can get it for you. That's fine. 
Just in the book of Ephesians, these are the already blessings for the believer in Christ. This is just a pet project that I like to do. And the goal is to go through and find truths that are freely bestowed on us in Christ. Either the idea that they are a reality that I need my mind to begin wrapped around because they're true of me, or it's now a brand new potential that I have because of my new life in Christ. So I am loved perfectly by the Father, absolutely, that's a reality, but I also have the capacity to love of which I didn't have before and can become experiential in my life. That would be an example of this. So look at this just real quick. This is just the first three chapters, and I was able to find 52 things. I encourage you to go through those first three chapters. You might find 55 things. Great, let me know. I'm sure this list is not perfect. But let's go through it together and just think about what we've seen so far. Number one, we're saints. We're saints. All of my ex-Catholic brethren and sistren, you're saints. And you didn't have to be dead a long time to get there. Jesus was actually able to get you over that trial period and bring you right into sainthood in that moment. Why is that? Because the idea of saint means to be a holy one before God, to be set apart. And why are you a holy one? Before God, one reason, you're in Christ. And Christ is the Holy One of God. So, you're a saint. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. We're chosen in Christ. Remember, we're not chosen to salvation, go to heaven when we die. Some are chosen to hell when they die. That's not taught in the Bible. What it says is we're chosen to be holy and blameless before Him in our love. We now have that capacity we didn't have before. Choosing is always unto service. Notice it says here, we've been predestined to the adoption of sons. That's our glorification. We've been predestined by Him according to the kind intention of His will. We've been predestined to the praise of the glory of His grace. We're recipients of His freely bestowed grace. We're redeemed through His blood. We're forgiven of our trespasses. We're forgiven according to the riches of His grace. His grace has been lavished on us. The mystery of His will and the dispensation of the fullness of times in which All things will culminate in Christ Jesus. It's His kind intention and His will to give us wisdom and insight into that matter. He wants us to know end times things about the ultimate rule of Jesus Christ over everything. That's His will for us and a reality we can now comprehend. We have a portion or a light given to us in Christ's future administration or dispensation that was predestined for us. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We're God's possession awaiting future redemption. We have the capacity to love all the saints. We have access to greater wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. We've been enlightened that we may know the hope of His calling. We've been enlightened that we may know the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the believers. We've been enlightened to know the surpassing greatness of His power towards us. We've received God's rich mercy. We're greatly loved by God. We've been made alive together with Christ by God. We've been raised up with Christ by God. We've been seated with Christ in the heavenlies by God. Do you realize that if we just thought according to our position in Christ, everything in our lives would be a situation where we're looking down by being seated next to Christ on everything that's going on? Does everybody realize that? We're seated with Christ. Where's Christ seated? At the right hand of the Father. Guess who's next to Him? Ding! Let me blow you away with His grace. Ding! Right? There it is! If you're a believer in Jesus, you're already seated there. It's not something for you to attain or work hard or you need to starve yourself or go hang out in a monastery. No, it's yours already. 
and you did nothing to get it. And guess what? God gave it to you. That's what His already spiritual blessings are. Freely bestowed by His grace. It's all yours. And He's just waiting for you to come into an embracing knowledge of it. Notice after that, oh, there's more, there's more, okay? Lick your fingers like there's barbecue on them. Here we go. Seated with Christ in the heavenlies by God were examples of the surpassing riches of God's grace in kindness. We're saved by grace. We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We're created in Christ for good works that have been prepared beforehand. We're brought near by the blood of Christ. Next one. Number 32, we're possessing the person of peace, Jesus Christ. We actually have possession of Him within us. Number 33, we're unified and at peace with believing Jews and one new man. We're free from the law. No, there's a lot of churches and believers that struggle with that. But somehow they're still under the law. God says no. Jesus paid it all. Jesus fulfilled the law for us. He is our righteousness. We don't need the law. We don't have to uphold the law. The law has no bearing on the church. None. Notice after that, we're reconciled to God through the cross. We have access to God through one spirit. We're fellow citizens. We're of God's household. We're growing into a holy of holies and to the Lord. We're built together into a dwelling place for God's spirit. We're able to know the mystery revealed to the apostles and prophets. We're fellow heirs of the body, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise, revealers of the manifold wisdom of God to spiritual forces in the heavenlies. We have boldness and confident access to the body. We are strengthened with power in the inner man by His Spirit. We have greater fellowship where Christ will feel at home in our hearts. We are rooted and grounded in love. We have greater fellowship enabling us to comprehend the multifaceted love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. We have greater fellowship to be filled up with God's fullness and we have His power working within us. None of this is earned. All of it is freely supplied. And that supply never runs out. So we find ourselves overwhelmed, discouraged, full of stress. Tension is at an all-time high. We're doubting. We're scared. This is who you are. We think this is a paper. It's a mirror. This is who you are. This is who I am. Well, I'm not deserving of that. God knows. That's why the word grace is brought up so much. His son is deserving of that. And it's his son's good pleasure to have his cup overflow onto you and me. Let's pray and then worship. Father in heaven, we praise you for the great bounds and lengths of putting us in an incredible stratosphere of blessing and mercy and gifts. And what seems to shine most brightly is the love of Christ for us. Father, may you grant to us to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner man. So that our mind, will, and emotions would become submissive to the realities of the vast expanse of Jesus' love for us. Lord, may we praise you with grateful hearts, true hearts, that are no longer holding on to self recognition, 
but instead we would come side by side with the Apostle Paul and say, I count all things lost for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Knowing Him more. Growing in Him more. Lord, only You can prompt the heart to grant us the depths of knowing the unknowable. Father, help us to reflect on this throughout the week. Help us to see Your beauty and kindness that pours off the page. That Your heart is for people and that love motivates You to be the difference maker. Thank You for being so gracious. Good grief. Thank You for even just being willing to give so much of Yourself for a people who have never wanted anything to do with You. And praise You that You have drawn us unto Yourself. You are holy. You are great. We pray all this in the name of a wonderful Savior, Jesus. Amen.